Welcome to Read It, a special edition of Book Choice Publishers Choice. Big thanks to our sponsors, Exclusive Books, Jonathan Ball Publishers, Pan Macmillan, and Penguin Random House. My name is Mark Falconer, and it is such a privilege to be having a conversation with learners from Gardens Commercial High School and Rustenburg Girls High School, and how wonderful it is to be able to um, speak to Sapiwe Gloria and Lover, who's going to be talking on her wonderful novel, The Theory of Flight, and very appropriately is joining us from Zimbabwe. Sapiwe, good morning. How lovely to be able to speak to you. Good morning. Can I ask all of our learners to introduce themselves? Good morning. My name is Busisa Nase and I'm from Rustenburg Girls High School. Um, hi, my name is Lilita Mamani and I am from Gardens Commercial High School. Hi, my name is Erin Pals and I'm from Rustenburg Girls High School. Good morning, I'm Zandre Magadjana and I'm from Gardens Commercial High School. Hi, I'm Sodika Galant and I'm from Gardens Commercial High School. Hi, I'm Wangisani Putalinga and I'm from Gardens Commercial High School. Thanks very much. It's, it's wonderful to have all, all the girls here. It's a little bit sad that there's no boys, but um, in our... No, don't shake your head, Wangisani. It's not true. <laughs> But it really is wonderful and such a privilege and, and a special thank you to you for coming in during the school holidays. So let's start off. Magasani, I know you've got a, a good question to get the ball rolling. So, um, Sipire, I would just like to know what was the thought process behind naming the book The Theory of Light? Thank you for the question and thank you all for being there. Um, so, as you know, um, the novel is very much concerned with different forms of light. Uh, we have different... Um, representations of flight within the novel. We have an airplane um, that flies through the air and is shot down. We have someone building an airplane and we have characters who fly away on silver wings. Um, and so for me, flight is very much a, a metaphor and a symbol for different kinds of freedom, different ways of self actualizing and understanding yourself. So for me, it's all about a certain kind of independence that you have. It could be independence within yourself or independence of thought. Um, those things are very important. And it's also important about the time that the novel is set, which is usually a time of a lot of strife, a lot of war, and a lot of violence. So this idea of understanding yourself and understanding yourself as a free being uh, with agency is also very important. A theory, as you know, is something that is posited and then has to be sort of like um, experiments have to be made to actually determine whether or not it is what is posited is true. So it is different ways of thinking about flight, which for some characters may or may not be true. But then there's a character in the novel who feels like he has put his um, he's got his finger on it and understands exactly what it is, and that's where the novel title comes from when Godita feels like he has figured out what his people need, which is this ability to fly or in his words to do to make impossible things possible. So that's where the title of the novel came from. Um, would anyone like to ask another question or a, an associated question? Jeannie's surname is Nyoni, which means bird. So I wanted to ask if that is part of the association of the name or if I'm just overthinking it. Yes, no, that is definitely, I mean, her, her name is very intentionally um, also about flight. So like, like I said, there's different ways that this comes up in the novel. Uh, in her character and her father's character, the leader, are very much tied to the idea of flight. I think of all characters, they're the ones who make their lives work about this idea of flying, of freedom, of understanding yourself and understanding your role in your community. 
one of the, the <coughs> conversations that we had when we first started talking about the novel was to explore the idea of, of flight and its association and relationship to hope um, and sometimes hopelessness. You speak about flight as being something that allows for self-actualization. Do you think that there's a, there's a gap between theory and, and practice or do you th- is that what the novel explores? That is definitely what the novel explores because the theory is wonderful, but the actual practice of it is something entirely different, right? And so I think uh, we see, like I said before, we see Kalida very much tied to this idea. He has a theory he's going to see it through. Some people think he's mad. Some people think what he doesn't care, he's going to see it through. And I think a lot of the other characters in the novel understand themselves as being politically independent on some level. But what that means beyond that is something that they grapple with. Um, I think they're very much tied to understandings of belonging, and um, some of them really struggle. Some of them are arrested in their development. I think the Masugu family, for instance, uh, is very much arrested in its own development individually and as a collective. And I think this idea of uh, personal independence is something that they struggle with. So I think with the different characters in the novel, this is something that they all have to um, go through to varying degrees of success. You know, I think some some characters um, are able to find a sense of self and a sense of freedom, and then others are on their journey towards that, but they're not there at the end of the novel. But I think the novel ends on a hopeful note because they all congregate um, at a very pivotal place uh, where I'm hoping that that is a hopeful ending where they all <laughs> see the possibility yes. of, of, of being able to imagine impossible things. We had a lot of discussion about the idea of how the novel ended and, and whether it was hopeful or not. Maybe one of our learners would like to explore that a little bit more. I've got a, a question, but it's not, not related to the topic that we're talking about. Um, I wanted to ask about the significance of the golden egg or rather why why use the egg as imagery because I sort of understand the egg a little bit but it's it's quite a complex and uh, almost vague metaphor throughout the book for me. Okay um, I think again it ties back to the idea of flight I mean um, you know there's a lot of hatching that goes on in the novel and Jeannie hatches and she's able to fly, so there's that connection. But I, I find that the, the fact that the egg is golden is what is important. Um, and I think what is wonderful about Jeannie for me is that she actually understands her value, which is a difficult thing for most people. So she understands that she was hatched from a golden egg, which means that she is golden. That means that she is valuable. Um, and this is something that she holds on to for all her life. It doesn't matter what happens to her, to her body, to her her circumstances. She holds on to the idea that she's valuable. And I think that's what draws other characters to her, is this very strong sense of self and her own understanding of self and her value. And again, like I say, this is something that is very difficult for all of us to hold on to. Um, I think we're all born with that value. That's just a core belief of mine, and I think life and circumstance can make you forget the value that you have um, and the fact that we're all valuable. And you can see that in the way humans treat each other. We don't treat each other like we're valuable beings, and yet we are. And so for me, the golden egg connected to Jeannie is for that particular reason, to, to remind us as readers, but also the characters in the novel, that there's always something there within all of us to value. 
Thank you. Thanks, Pima. That's very profound. Any other questions? Or maybe I can explore the, and associate the idea of transcendence, which we've been speaking about flight and genie hatching from a golden egg, the idea of worth and the idea of being able to overcome one's own personal challenges. Transcendence seems to be something that, that you explore in terms of the idea of flight, but also just in terms of how the characters manage the very, very significant challenges that they have. Do you think that's accurate? Yes. I mean, I think that, um, you know, and transcendence, and again, on many different levels, I think a lot of characters, for instance, are journeying from where I'm sitting as a writer. They're journeying towards a better understanding of themselves. And in order to get there, um, they have to overcome a lot of hurdles, some of them self-manufactured, some of them not. Um, but I think also the idea of transcendence happens for me with just the art, the, the idea of engaging with something larger than yourself. And I think for some characters in the novel, that is art or creation. And um, I think you are able, I think there's this wonderful understanding within art when you engage with it, you're sort of like able to leave your own being and be part of this other bigger thing. And I like that. And I think some of the characters are able to do that. But I think a lot of a lot of it has to do with the circumstances we're in, the kind of context we find ourselves in, what is spoken back to us by that context, and you know. So I think some some characters will have an easier time, and some characters will not, based on different circumstances. And that's why the cast of characters within the novel is so varied, um, because I think not everyone is starting at the same starting point, and not everyone's going to end at the same place, but I think they're all journeying towards a, mm-hmm. a better understanding. So in a way, they're all trying to fly. They may not all be aware of it, but they're all trying to fly to something better and higher, and they're different things that may be standing their way. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you. A little while ago, we were looking at the variety and, um, and range of characters. Do you have a do you have a favorite character? I mean, obviously, Jeannie seems to be very close to your heart, but there's some other really wonderful ones like Jesus as well. Do you have any any special yeah, characters? I, I don't have a, a favorite character. I think that's just not, you know, as a writer, you have to just love all your characters equally. Some are, are more joy to write than others, to be fair, but I think you have to love them all equally. I think the character, and this always surprises people when I say this, the character that I, I actually identify a lot with is, is Crystal. Or I identified with her when I first started writing the novel because I was also writing my PhD at the time. I was writing my dissertation and I was having a very difficult time. And so I think uh, the character that mirrored me at the beginning of my writing journey a lot was Crystal. And I think I, she helped me a lot as a person, I think. And I'm grateful to her for that because going through, like writing what she was going through also helped me process what I was going through at the time. I was also grieving. I was also not grieving very well, um, so it was very therapeutic mm. to write that character. Where do your characters come from, Sabiwa? Are they modeled on someone, or they, do they grow um, as your story grows? I think it's a combination of all those things. I think some characters are very organic. They just come from the story itself. I think a, a lot of the characters I write just come from the story itself. Uh, but with a novel like The Theory of Flight, which was my response to having lost someone that I loved, um, I think it also was more personal than the other novels that I've written since then. And so I think there is, like I just said, you know, I was drawing a lot from my own life. When I first started writing the novel, 
I was living in the United States. I was obviously homesick. I wanted to remember a lot of the country that I came from. That that country was changing rapidly at the time, and I wanted to capture why I love the country so much. And so there's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of memories that are mine or shared memories within the family. So the sunflower fields, that's definitely from our own childhood, mm-hmm. for, instance, for example. I used to play in sunflowers myself. So certain things were definitely from my life. And I think of all the novels that I've written, that's the most personal in that regard. But I think the parameters and the interiority of most characters, that just comes from the novel and them having to deal with whatever thematic concerns the novel is playing. So um, I think some of the circumstances, yes, but I think when you're building character, it's both, you know, it's a, an alchemy of a whole host of things mm-hmm. um, that makes the character. Well, it's, it's very courageous of you, and, and thank you for sharing. So many interesting things that we can think about while we listen to Come Fly With Me by Michael Bublé. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away Come fly with me, let's float down to Peru in Lama Land, there's a one-man band, and he'll toot his flute for you. Come fly with me, let's take off in the blue. Once I get you up there, where the air is rarefied, we'll just glide, starry eyes. Once I get you up there, I'll be holding you so near. You may hear the angels cheer because we're together. Weather-wise, it's such a lovely day. Just say the words and we'll beat those birds down to Acapulco Bay. It's perfect for a flying honeymoon, they say. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Oh, come on and fly. Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide starry-eyed Once I get you up there I'll be holding you so near You may hear all the angels cheer Because we're together Otherwise, it's such a lovely day You just say those words And we'll beat those birds Down to Acapulco Bay It's so perfect For a fly in a honeymoon They say Come fly 
Zandra, I know you've got a question that you'd like to ask. Um, back to the golden egg, Erin um, really asked a question that I've been wanting to ask. Um, with the golden egg, was it intentional to make Jeannie the one that comes from the golden egg or was it something else? Yes. I mean, I think everything a writer does is intentional. Um, so, yes, it had to be Jeannie. Uh, like I said before, Jeannie is the character that draws a lot of the other characters to her. So, actually, Jeannie in the novel, we ne- we don't necessarily get her point of view on anything, right? Um, I think we have, like, two chapters in the entire novel that are from her perspective. Everything else we know about Jeannie is everyone else's understanding of Jeannie. And so, for me, she is something that is beautiful and precious and golden. She knows that. She holds on to that. And that's what makes her a magnet for all these other people because they're also struggling with understanding their own value, but they love that about her, that she holds on to that. I mean, even a character like Valentine, who should not in any way befriend Jeannie and like her, ends up being the one who helps her the most. So I think it's very intentional that she is sort of like the heart of the novel, yet we actually never really get to meet her, meet her. We meet her through all these people because she's affected their lives so profoundly. Mm. And that's what makes her this precious thing. Thank you. That was beautifully answered. And um, any other any other questions? I'd just like to say also that I'm really enjoying the questions and thank you all for all the thought that you've put into them. This is I'm enjoying the conversation. Thank you. We are too. What is always striking when you speak to a writer to see how um, how deeply personal some of the some of the um, revelations are. That you know that, that writing is so you're writing for a public audience, obviously, but you really are bearing your your soul to some extent, and it's quite a courageous activity to be doing. Yes, that's that's true. It takes a lot of bravery. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, people, you, you're currently in Zimbabwe, and obviously, we speaking from, from the Cape, uh, South Africa, and in so many ways, there are comparisons to be drawn between um, Zimbabwe's journey and South Africa's journey. Clearly, location is something very important in the novel. Again, I think you know a lot of people ask this question: Why uh, does it take place in an unnamed country? And I think what you've just said is why it's an unnamed country, because I think there's a lot that we share as countries uh, with the way we have, both the way, you know, we were colonized, but the way we are trying to decolonize, or we're trying to be post-colonial, we're trying to move away from the the past and its many violences. I think we share that, especially in Southern Africa, where we had a very particular kind of um, colonization that other parts of the continent did not necessarily experience. So for me, it had to be in a named country because I think it's important to understand that this is what we share, the similarities here, and the particular country is important, but also what is also very important is that we've shared this experience and we should be trying, I think collectively, to find solutions and ways forward that are healthy and will allow all of us to be able to partake in whatever future nation or country or region we are trying to imagine. so yes, I think, you know, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. Let's take a music break. Staying with our theme of flight, it's Listen to the Birds by Melanie Schultz. And every 
My ma said, listen to the birds singing in the trees. They never worry, they've got all that they need. Waiting for the news blowing in the wind. Sure is cold, but I don't want to miss a thing. Listen to the birds singing in the trees. They never worry, they've got all that they need. Waiting for the news blowing in the wind. Sure is cold, but I don't want to miss a This podcast is the series is called Read It. And so part of what, what we're trying to do is to encourage young people to read. And here we have some really beautiful, articulate, um, thoughtful young people. What would you what advice would you give them? These are the leaders of our of the subcontinent. What would you say to young people generally? I mean, I think, you, you know, as a writer, I would say read, 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 read. But also, I think you need to um Come to an understanding of yourself and however you do that, whatever tools you need to to do that, you need to have that strong sense of self is what allows you to then go through the world uh, and in the determined way that will change it the way 
into what you want it to be. And I think that takes a lot of time, but it takes a lot of engagement, uh, I think, with, with the world. And I think we engage with the world in different ways. I think the arts are a great way to engage with the world. I think um, children nowadays have a whole host of other ways of engaging with the world. Some of them toxic, some of them not. And I think you need to understand, you know, what's toxic and what is not for you. Um, but I think you need to engage as widely with the world as possible. I think you need to understand your place in the world from, you know, your teens. Um, I think it's great to want to change the world, but I think you always need to understand the world first. And I think you need to understand yourself and your relationship to the world before you do that. And that takes time. And I think that takes a lot of introspection. And so I think... People who are young should take the time, and I don't think we're ever really socialized to take that kind of time with mm-hmm. ourselves, but we should take the time we owe it to ourselves um, to take the time to understand ourselves so that we understand exactly what we're wanting for ourselves and for the future. And I think it goes back also to Jeannie. I think you need to understand yourself as a valuable human being. It doesn't matter what circumstance you were born in. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter... None of of those things matter. Everyone and everything is valuable. You're one of those valuable things and you have a contribution to make and you should always remember that. That's lovely. I I love it also that that you, you know, that it's not easy, but you, you, I mean, part of the power of your novel is that it's not easy, but it's worth it. I'm going to try and encourage more questions from from our little golden eggs here. I have a question. Um, The book has a lot of characters, but one of the characters that stood out to me was Mordecai. Um, I just want to know, like, what was the role of, like, Mordecai in this novel? Like, what is the reader supposed to take away from his story? So Mordecai, for me, is a very interesting character because he is someone who, again, um, because of his circumstances, because of his particular, the way he came into the world, has no values and feel like he has no value, right? So he's capable of changing allegiances, he's capable of creating a lot of bodily harm and just being not a nice person because he feels, you know, he's allowed to be angry, he was born into rotten circumstances and he can just not care about anyone else. And so he is probably, you know, a a character that is on the extreme opposite side of characters like the Dede and Genie, for instance, because he is born with, with a negative interior. And his journey in the novel is to find the value within himself. And the way that he does that is by realizing that he can connect. And the character Minetra allows him to know that. And the reason he comes to that understanding is because he is trying, because he is negative and empty inside, through torturing her to make her also feel worthless and negative and empty inside. And she refuses and she's holding on to something. And he becomes very curious what that something is. And years later, he makes it a point to create a life with her and to try and undo a lot of what he had done. And in that journey, he comes to understand himself and his value and the fact that he can contribute by actually healing things and actually curating and actually being in the archives and making bending books and that could be his contribution. He doesn't have to be this thing that's out in the world and creating havoc. He can actually do good. And so that's why the character is there because he starts at the extreme opposite of, you know, our our more main characters and his journey is actually a very... um, wonderful and successful one because he finds the thing that gives him that purpose thank you so much um i have another question but it's not necessarily about the contents of the book 
So about two years ago or so, your book was prescribed in the IEB curriculum. A lot of things about the book um, contrast and you left a lot of things up to the reader. So may I ask, how did you feel that um, institutions and schools sort of categorized your book and gave it different themes and genres and there was also a time limit so the reader wasn't immersing themselves in the book they were just reading for that sense how did you feel that your book was then changed in its context and that um, it wasn't necessarily what you had intended for it to be and they were categorizing certain aspects of it no that's I mean I think this is something that all writers face um, I think you know from the very initial moment you know your novel is going to be categorized sometimes in ways that you don't necessarily see it as. The one thing you cannot, as a writer, control is how people consume your work. And this is also the freeing thing about being a writer, right? And that's why there are gaps within any novel or any good novel. There should be gaps so that the reader can make meaning for themselves. And so there's no such thing as a wrong interpretation as long as there's evidence within the text that, that supports what you, how you're interpreting it. Um, so I'm, I'm actually happy with all kinds of people reading the book and coming up with all kinds of things because that's actually the act of reading. Interpretation is a very huge part of how we consume art. And we don't all consume it the same because we're all not the same person. And that's what makes art amazing, um, is that we all come at it from different angles. Um, so for me, that's actually a beautiful thing. Now that there's a time limit and you're reading for an exam, that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But I think... It's always important to know as a person who creates something that beyond your creation, a lot of other people are going to also create from what you've done. They're going to create meaning. They're going to create characters in their heads. They're going to have images of those characters. All that is beyond you. But that's what makes it amazing that we can all have this thing that we can all build together. Thanks so much, Sabibi. Um, I have another question. I'm also a writer, somewhat amateur. And um, <laughs> you have like a huge cast of characters, and I don't often deal with a huge cast of characters in my own writing. I'd like to keep my writings like intimate and small. So I'm wondering, like, which character was the most difficult for you to write about? The oh. just curiosity sake. Uh, that's a great question, and um, I'm happy to hear that you're writing. It's always wonderful to meet other writers, especially people who are young and can actually articulate the fact that they're a writer. I think for years, a lot of us who were writing at that age, we just kept it a secret. Like, we're just like, no, we don't write. We just, you know, I don't know what we thought we were doing. But yeah, so I always find it fascinating that people own up to that a lot sooner nowadays. Um, so the character that I found difficult to write, oof, um, let me think. It wasn't difficult to write, but I think Jeannie, um, I've said this before, I actually thought Jeannie was going to appear a lot more in the novel. So for a long time, I actually didn't write because I thought she was going to appear as one of the people with the POV. And it took a long time for me to realize that that's not what she was going to do, that I was actually only going to know her mostly through other characters. But I spent many, many years actually <laughs> waiting for that to happen, waiting for her to come and give me her point of view on things. It just didn't happen. And I had to learn the novel I was writing because I thought I was writing a novel that would have a POV. And then I had to realize that that's not the novel that I was writing. Um, so that was one of the difficult things was just understanding that and, and coming to terms with that. But in terms of difficulty uh, and in terms of a difficult character, um, no, I think Valentine and I, and I, I, I talk sometimes like my characters are real people and that, you know, that's just what writers do. 
But Valentine and I did not understand each other. Um, or I didn't understand him. So I think my intention initially was to make fun of him. And that created a very difficult experience because he was not a character who wanted to make, be made fun of. And so I kept on writing all these things where I was making fun of him. And then I'd have writer's block and then I wouldn't be able to really enjoy what I'd written. And it was only when I realized that he actually took himself seriously and what he was doing seriously that I was able to actually write the character the way you, you have it in the novel. So that was part of a learning experience that was difficult to go through because I had an intention that I wanted and the character had a very different understanding of themselves and a different intention. And I had to get to where the character was. It's just wonderful the relationship you have with your characters and how, how um, organic they are, how, how much part of your experience. You're listening to a special edition of Book Choice, Publisher's Choice. Read it with learners from Gardens Commercial and Rustenburg Girls High School. Coming up is Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars In other words Hold my hand In other words Baby, kiss me Fill my heart with song And let me sing forevermore you are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. Song, let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, What would be a good idea now is for the learners to talk a little bit about their favorite quotes. Maybe you could comment about um, about that. So can I ask anyone to uh, just kick us off? I can start. Thanks, Erin. Um, my quote that I wanted to discuss is, visionaries and not politicians are the real revolutionaries. And this is something that Dingani said to his friends. Um, and I just, I love this quote because I think it also links to 
um, what we were discussing earlier about young people um, embracing creativity and embracing these, yeah, these things like the arts in our lives and how actually the people, like the bigger people in power or politicians or the president or whatever, they are not necessarily like the bigger pieces to what we see on the surface are not necessarily the most important pieces, but it's actually all those little pieces in between. All of us individuals, um, young people in schools and stuff that are actually the important people in in creating the world we live in. This is something to always remember. And I think when we look at history, that shows like actual change comes from, you know, the bottom up. And, you know, usually we give people more power than they deserve. Um, but it's usually people who are just the ones who make actual change. Yeah. Wonderfully put. Thank you. Um, so my favorite quote was... Goldie knew that building airplanes was a costly business, that being capable of flight would come at a price. Parts either had to be bought or manufactured, people had to be educated and trained, and the state's monopoly on manufacturing had to be destroyed and decentralized. So what I took from this quote was basically that being able being able to free yourself would come at a cost. And the specific part that said that parts either had to be bought or manufactured, you either had to cultivate and manufacture um, a sense of self-worth within yourself and you had to educate and train yourself well about yourself and the state's monopoly on manufacturing had to be decentralized so society's understanding and constructs of who you are had to be decentralized so yeah that was my <laughs> another perfect interpretation I love that thank you that's just wonderful thanks thank you I'm not really going to say much because you're all interpreting, so I'm just going to be like, you know, <laughs> smiling and beaming on this end. Yeah, but yeah, it's lovely. Zanredi, you want to say something? There you go. Uh, yeah, um, another, f- my favorite quote from the novel was when the course, during the course of the rebirth of the sunflowers, um, there was a taught genie and Marcus a very important um, lesson about death that after it, there's life again that things that perish will rise again, that after every ending, there's another beginning. The reason I love that quote a lot is because I resonate with it a lot. I find it very difficult to process grief and understand it. So when I read that quote and the hope it brought back to Jeannie and Marcus when the flowers bloomed again, it was like, okay, let me look at my life also. Things that perish also, they also there's a rise after it. And with every ending, there's another beginning. I really love that because it kind of also gave me a sense of hope on how to process grief and how to have a positive uh, outlook on things that end and new beginnings. So that's just my take on the quote and from the novel. It's wonderful, yes. And I think, um, you know, it is difficult for a lot of people to process grief, and I think it, that's an important lesson to learn. But I, I think, you know, I'm glad you've learned from it, because to be honest, I, I still struggle with that, even though I'm the one who wrote that. I still struggle <laughs> with um, coming to terms with, with grief. I'm actually very bad at it. So, you know, I'll go read that again now and hopefully get um, get to where you are. But, yeah, thank you. Um, my favorite quote is... Um, at the end when Marcus is like being taken away by his family and it reads they all looked beautiful the members of his family but Marcus felt that their beauty was not to be trusted it was a dangerous beauty he was suddenly more terrified than he had ever been before he let go of his bladder then well aware that his urine would soil both his shorts and his mother's shiny dress for me I love this quote because 
um, the Masuka family are a very interesting bunch of people to me to read in this book, especially because I've read it like a lot. Um, I just think the idea of like their beauty being like dangerous is like kind of like linked to how Prudence felt about um, um, her husband because she was like he had charm but no character and I feel like the Masukas are like that they have a lot of charm but no character which is why Jeannie's death really affected them because the only person in the family with character had died and so their beauty which is dangerous was like revealed yeah that's why I like that quote oh my gosh that is an amazing amazing take on that thank you yeah yeah lovely yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to keep saying amazing, wonderful, lovely because <laughs> you guys are it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. My favorite quote was in the prologue, and I don't know if this is a lot of people's favorite quote, but it reads, Like any event, what happened to Jeannie did not happen in a vacuum. It was the result of a combination of genealogies, histories, teleologies, epistemologies, and epistemologies of a way of li- living, remembering, seeing, and seeing, knowing, and dying. The main reasons why I love this quote is, for one, um, it's the same for everyone. From the time of your birth till when you actually depart from this world, everything that happens to you not only happens for a reason, but it happens to build you. And with Jeannie, she was the true definition to me of raised by a village. Everyone just had a role and impact in her life. And so I also feel like that just from my upbringing. And also, this quote sort of gives each individual permission to be African in in a different way, whereby we have someone that's an albino, we have someone that's so beautifully uh, dark brown skin. And so it's giving me as a reader just permission for me to be African and the perspective that there are different ways to be African, but none of them is wrong or right, and each of us are perfect the way we are. Perfect. You guys are so wonderfully profound and yeah, this is just amazing. Um, okay, I'm, you know, as a writer, I feel bad I just keep using the same three words over and over again. I should probably have something else in front of me so that I can have more words. But that was so profound. Um, and just, I like it that you, you, you talk about how it gives all of us permission to be Africans and to be Africans our own way. That is, yeah, that is just very, very powerful. Yeah. Um. Superior, thank you. I mean, there are times when reading the novel when you you have to fight really hard to be hopeful. But listening to this these responses, um, I think that it's much easier to feel hopeful. Your words have inspired all of this conversation. So once again, thank you. Sadiq has got a quote. My favorite was also from the prologue. It was, however, most of you have eyes that are not for beauty to see. And because of this, you will not believe that such a truly amazing phenomenon, phenomenon had taken place. Um, it's my favorite because I actually have two and one that's Wandre said and this one because I feel like people are so closed off to like other people's beliefs and I know like it's something like it happens a lot because we as humans are just judgmental so I feel like people are just closed off in general like they don't they won't believe what they do not see and it's almost like in a sense of like faith so you you won't believe it because you don't you sometimes you don't believe that there could be somebody out there that's like watching over you and taking care of you. So for me it was my favorite because it really highlights how people are like very close off and close minded to other people's 
beliefs as well as like listening to other people. Zandre's quote was my favorite regarding death because I feel like you didn't take anything away from people's like grieving process. Like people would put it psychology, they put it into stages, but people don't really understand that it doesn't necessarily have to be in those specific stages. Grief doesn't, it's not first, like it's not denial and then anger. Sometimes it's anger first. Sometimes you think you're accepted and you go back to anger. So it was like reading that made me realize that like it's okay to go back. It is okay to, because the grieving process takes a long time. Some people never get over the death of a loved one. And I understood that when I lost someone, it really helped me. Thank you. Thank you. And it's important to remember that, yeah, but everyone grieves differently. Uh, I have a question. So my question is, like, as a writer, when you write your books and your characters, do you as well learn, like, do you learn anything from them? I learn a lot from them. Um, So I actually learn a lot in the process of writing. Um, Like, as you say, the the characters are different. They have different personalities. And I'm just one individual with my own personality. So it's always good to spend time with um, the characters because you learn a lot about how other people process things. And that sometimes helps you process other things in your own life differently. Um, So that's always good to engage with. And this is, I think, the beautiful thing about uh, literature in general is because it allows for people who read and also people who write to have an interiority and look into someone else's interiority so you understand how people work, how humans work. And that can always teach you how to be better, how to do things differently. But also the most important thing that it does, it allows you to understand other people And I think in understanding other people, you understand yourself better. So, yes, I'm always learning and I'm always hoping, hopefully growing as well as a person um, through the writing process and through the characters that I end up writing. Thank you. I've got a quote from Hannah, who was unable to be here today. Golide knew that building airplanes was a costly business, that being capable of flight would come at a price. Parts either had to be bought or manufactured. People had to be educated and trained, and the state's monopoly on manufacturing had to be destroyed and decentralized. These obstacles made Golide spend most of his time thinking of ways to make the people understand that they were still capable of flight, and at no cost to themselves. Hannah says about this quote, To me, this quote brings around the pivotal issues and metaphors expressed within the novel, as the ideas of flight, which symbolize the circle of life, aspirations and hope are a constant desire for all characters within the novel and the obsession with it and the will to make it easier to obtain for all is i believe a reflection of the determination and natural good the human condition is portrayed as within this novel thanks Aaron. obviously that um, that passage spoke to a number of people it's a very beautiful and powerful passage um superior i just have one question on your take on this specific quote it reads he understood that in the grander scheme of things, he was but a speck, a tiny speck, and that was enough. There was freedom, beauty even in the mm. kind of knowledge. Mm. It was the kind of knowledge that finally quieted you. It was the kind of knowledge mm. that allowed you to fly. With my understanding on mm. this um, specific quote was that as a person, you are not stuck to the ground. You are just like a tiny little speck that, and that knowing that allows you to fly and become the person who you are. So I just wanted to know what, what was your take on that and what, brought this about in the specific novel? Mm. 
Um, so it's going to be a little bit of a convoluted answer, but I'll, I'll keep it short. So when I was in, in junior school, I had a, it was high school, I had a, a, a vice principal who used to try and make us feel small or used to succeed in making us feel small by telling us that we were just tiny specks in the horizon. And then he'd be like, oh, that's not good, you know. But actually, um, I think understanding that you are, even in that tininess, like you still have value, that you're still capable of all kinds of things is what's important. So the size doesn't really matter. What matters is the heart within the person or the interiority of the person and what they're capable of doing, going back to that understanding of value. And I think we are are always made to think that, you know, the bigger we are, the bigger footprint we have, the bigger this, the bigger that, that's what makes us great. But I think actually true freedom comes from understanding that, you know, there are billions and billions of us and there are all kinds of other things in the in the world that we live in. And we are just a small part of this giant thing, but we are a small part and we're an intricate part and we're an integral part of it. And that's what makes us all wonderful is that we're all creating this bigger thing. We don't have to be the biggest thing. We're all creating the bigger thing. And that for me um, is a freeing thought. And it's, it's, it's really a, a beautiful way of understanding for me as a person, that I don't have to be more than I am in order to make a contribution. Mine being who I am is just enough to make the contribution I'm supposed to make in the world. Wow. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sapiwe. I mean, your generosity and humility is hinted at in the novel, but um, this conversation has really made it so, <laughs> so, so wonderfully clear. And I can't thank you enough for giving up time and sharing all these wonderful insights with us and with our, our beautiful learners. So thank you really from the bottom of our hearts. And I want to thank... Uh, thank you. Any final questions, anyone? I have just one, like, small question. Um, in this, like, book, there's a lot of, like, love stories or, like, relationships, like, stories of love, mm-hmm. basically. My question is, like, which story of love or, like, which love story, which relationship was the most enjoyable for you to write about? <laughs> Um, my favorite was to write was Jeannie and uh, Vida. Um, I, yeah, I didn't see it coming as a writer. So when it started, I had a lot of resistance at first, um, but they won me over. They were very, very wonderful and warm and um, not always on the same page, but definitely, um, yeah, complimentary parts. Yeah. It's so beautiful when your characters insist on doing something that you didn't actually have planned for them. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. So, thank you so much again, and thank you very much again to all of our all of our learners for for taking time in the in the school holidays to come and have this conversation. If this doesn't inspire people to read, then I don't know what will. Thank you again, <laughs> and uh, and thank you. and the very thank best you to the learners. Yeah, yeah, and we look forward very much to reading more. Thank you, Sophia. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks to all our book choice publishers, choice sponsors, exclusive books, Jonathan Ball Publishers, Pan Macmillan, and Penguin Random House. Shout out to Frida LaRue from Penguin Random House. Penguin generously gave us each a copy of the book. Thanks to the FMR team, book choice editor Paige Nick, read it producer Vanessa Levenstein, audio engineer Mzu Maketa, and music compiler San Mohammed. We're playing out with Lullaby of Birdland by George Shearing. <laughs> Thank you.